All right, everybody, welcome to New Life Church. How many of you guys are excited to be here today? Are you? Every single one of you? All right, because if there's somebody next to you, they didn't cheer. Just look at them strangely for the next five minutes. Just stare them right in the eye and don't break, the, don't break that, all right? Just look at them and just keep looking at them until it gets awkward and just go, are you, do you like it here or not? Okay, just say things like that. Hey, look, look, we're a church, we believe this. We believe that Jesus has risen, okay? That's one of the things we believe at New Life Church. Therefore, we can be risen. You see what I'm saying? We believe that Jesus is alive, therefore, we can be yeah, it's pretty simple, all right? So we're a church that loves to celebrate things. We're a church that loves to be excited, all right? We're that kind of a church. We're not stoic church, right? We're not quiet church. Uh, we're the kind of church we're excited about things. So uh, today we're going to be excited about where we're at in Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders, if you're new to a new life, um, it is our generosity in action. Kingdom Builders is us teaming up with God's heart. You realize this about God's heart, that God desires that no one would perish, but everybody would have eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, and that the mission of the church is to team up with God's heart to make sure that everybody knows Jesus and has their life changed by him. How many of you guys know Jesus and your life is being changed by him right now? Let me see your hand all across this place. In North Platte, Ogallala, online. Okay, awesome. And that's the same thing we want for people that live in Nebraska and that live all the way around the world, even to the country of India, let's say. Other side of the planet. You see what I'm saying? Like we care about all people and Kingdom Builders is our generosity muscle that allows us to stay focused, diligently focused, and sacrifice for the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ. And guys, today we get a chance to be a part of that. Now, look, if you watched my video, any of you guys get my, my email this past week with my six-minute video? Anybody get that? Okay. And then uh, just to sample the audience really quick, don't raise your hand. Just nod or blink at me. How many of you guys actually watched the full six minutes? Okay. Because I, I didn't want you to feel guilty because, you know, six minutes is a long time. But I needed to take that amount of time in the video to explain to you what was called the miracle offering. This coming Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to be receiving the miracle offering uh, for Kingdom Builders. What is the miracle offering? Well, this, basically it's this. New Life Church and our leadership team, we set a faith goal that was audacious. Okay, we set a faith goal that was, it was up there. It was $435,000 that we wanted to be generous with and give away and invest it into God's kingdom with missionaries and missions organizations and uh, local church expansion and uh, raising up future Christian leaders. We just wanted to be a part of God's kingdom wherever we could. Well, because of COVID, there was a number of things that, you know, they just didn't pan out. They didn't work out. And so, you know, you can reduce that down by about 50 grand. That puts us somewhere into 380000 zone, and uh, to this date, right, we've given almost $300,000, guys, and invested it into God's kingdom so far. That's exciting, right? Man, I love it. I mean, I'm excited about it. Think about every dollar. Every dollar represents a soul that's going to come to know Jesus. Every dollar represents someone's story of their life being delivered and set free, right? Every dollar equals a soul. Let's just keep it simple like that. Well, there's a delta now between what we've given and what our faith goal is. And that's where we're going after the miracle offering. And everybody has a part to play. Maybe you're going to play a part next week like Kim and I are going to play. We set a 2020 Kingdom Builder goal, and we're going to fulfill that next Sunday. We're just going to bring it all. Uh, the rest that's left, we're, we're just going to bring it, right? And we're going to put it in an offering envelope, and we're going to bring it next week, and we're going to be ready to give. 
Uh, some of you guys, man, you've, you've committed to the Kingdom Builder goal. You've already made it. And maybe you're thinking about, well, man, I could just do something at the end of the year that's just extra special. I want you to think about that. Uh, some of you guys have never given. You've never been a part, right? Uh, and you're missing out on all the things that, that God's using New Life Church to be a part of. I want every single person that's listening to my voice today at all of our campuses and online to participate in this miracle offering called Kingdom Builders. So I want you to be a part of this thing, all right? So that means next week, if you've never given to Kingdom Builders, come with something, even if it's 10 bucks. Come with something, all right? Um, and look, don't worry about the big number. Don't worry about $80,000. There's already been one person that stepped up this week and said, I'm going to kick off generosity. I'm giving $10,000, right? So whoever that is, because I don't know who it is, uh, but they said 10000 bucks. I'm fulfilling my 2020 Kingdom Builder goal, and I'm kicking off generosity. And you guys know what? I, I want to I accept that challenge and join with them, and let's see what God will do. So even if you've never given to Kingdom Builders, come with something, or maybe come and think about, like, what I can do between now and the end of the year. And here's the deal. Like, don't worry about the now 70-some thousand dollars, right? Who cares about that? All we really care about is this. What is God saying to you? And let's all come faithfully following what God says to you. And if we all do that, guess what happens? A miracle takes place. Guys, we want to be a part of what God's doing around the world. And today you're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about what God's been doing in other countries. Today we've got a missionary that's been on the mission field for a long, long time. We've got a guy who is representing an organization that we are a part of called Project Rescue. This ministry started 25 years ago, right, in the slums of India, saving women and their children out of sex trafficking. Before sex trafficking was ever even a popular term, they were already engaged in rescuing women who had been basically turned into sex slaves and being sold in prostitution, right? And they were rescuing them and saving them and helping them find real life in Jesus Christ. You're going to hear more about that. And I just want you to know, if you're a kingdom builder, we wrote the check to Project Rescue last week and we sent it off. So everything you're going to hear about today, we've been a part of in 2020 and we're going to be better partners in 2021. So I want you to sit back. But I also want you to kind of lean in at all of our campuses. I want you to lean in and I want you to glean what God's got to say to us through our guest speaker today. His name is Kevin Donaldson with Project Rescue, one of our Kingdom Builder partners. Would you at all of our campuses and even at home, would you put your hands together and welcome Kevin Donaldson here at New Life Church. Come on. Kevin, welcome. Welcome. Hey. It's Thanks, all Pastor. yours, my friend. All right. We loved having, having you here in the first service. Honored to be here. We're expecting God to do great things in the second service, so it's all, it's all yours, buddy. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is good to be in Kearney. I've never been here, so I've been a lot of places. Trust me, I've been a lot of places, but I haven't been here. So I uh, never got past Omaha and in Nebraska, so I've, I've gotten a little more uh, mileage now. But uh, great to be with you. Thanks, uh, Pastor Kim, for your hospitality, your kindness, for the invitation to be here. We, uh, we got together last night, had a meal together, and got to reminiscing. Uh, we all grew up within about six miles of each other. Uh, so we're all from St. Louis County, and I actually knew Kim in high school and didn't know who she was. I hadn't seen her in like 37 years, so, you know. Uh, and so uh, we're sitting there talking last night. I go, wait a minute. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, thanks, guys, for inviting me to be here today. Um, I'd like to share God's word with you today from uh, a very remote passage of Scripture. 
Uh, as Pastor said, my wife Lucy and I have been in missions for about 25 years now. We've spent our entire field career in the country of India. And uh, we, we've been in a lot of different roles, but we went back into India in uh, 2010, into the capital city of New Delhi, and we began to work with a very fledgling work that had just started in our friend's living room, uh, ministering and reaching out to women in that city who are victims of sexual trafficking. Uh, the epicenter of the sex trade in New Delhi, India is called GB Road. GB Road is about three quarters of a mile long, and on that street there are about three to four thousand women, given at any particular time, who are enslaved in the brothels on that street. So everything you see above the ground level looks like this. Women trapped in these, in these brothels above the street. If you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't know it was there. But there are thousands of women. The train station's over on this side. And thousands of women are trafficked uh, into the red light district. And, and so we began to go down there and begin to minister to these ladies. The first thing they would say to us was, can you do something to get my kid out of here? The only thing these ladies have, they are taken, we have worked with hundreds of women on this street. Every woman we've ever worked with was placed there by a friend or a family member. So they were sold into this situation. Oftentimes a girl thinks that she's getting married, so they've got recruiters that go out into the village areas where they don't have a lot of knowledge of what's going on, and he'll find a beautiful girl in the village, and he will... Uh, he'll pursue her, and then they get married. The whole village has a big party, and they send them off to Delhi on their honeymoon. So that girl gets on that train thinking that she's starting this li her life with this man she loves, and she gets off the train in Delhi, and he takes her across the street and throws her into hell. And these women, they live in little rooms, little larger than a twin mattress, and they're forced to service seven to ten men a day. And that's their life. And so we began to go down there and try to reach out to these ladies. And we were praying desperately, God, you got to help us. And so the first thing that happened was they would say, well, it's too late for me, but can you get my kid out of here? And so we started a girl's home in our, in our friend's living room. And <laughs> put up some beds in the living room. Started putting little girls there. We started a girl's home. A few years later, we started a boys' home because the little girls become the next generation of slaves and the little boys become the next generation of traffickers. So you've got to attack it from both sides. Then we said, God, we need a place. We need a location in the red light district because Lucy and the team would go up into the brothels and sit there with the ladies and try to minister to them. But you can imagine a brothel is not a conducive environment for ministry. So you got people coming and going. It's chaotic. There's kids screaming. There's, it's just nuts. And so uh, we were saying, God, we need a place. So two little rooms opened up in a building right there in the heart of the red light district. And it's hard to find real estate there. We realized, you know, we got into this and all hell's breaking loose. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? Then I learned that GB Road has been a red light district for 700 years. For seven centuries, women have been bought and sold on that street. I said, no wonder it's so hard. I mean, you talk about a stronghold of darkness. And so we, we were saying, God, you got to give us a place. Well, fast forward the story. 
We rented two rooms in this building. Today we own the entire building. And it's an outreach center right in the heart of this red light district. And we, we teach women a trade. We have Bible study. We're starting a church. We have a medical clinic there. We do all this stuff for these ladies there right in the heart of this thing. And it's like the kingdom of God came down and, and just came down in the middle of all this darkness. We've seen God do amazing things. But that journey has taught me something about the price we pay to obey Jesus and to love the lost. It's hard stuff. And so I was reading in Amos chapter 3, and it says in Amos chapter 3, verse 12, Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch or part of a bed. Now I know that's just a weird passage of Scripture, and you're like, what is that about? Well, you know, the experience I've been through helps me read that with kind of fresh eyes. Amos was not a prophet until God called him to be one. What Amos was was a shepherd and a farmer. And so he uses the imagery he knows to talk about how God is going to restore Israel back to himself. So Israel had kind of backslidden away from God. They'd broken the covenant. And God says, you're going to reap off that, but after that, I'm going to renew you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to bring you back to myself, but it's not going to be easy. And so Amos uses the imagery he knows, the image of a shepherd, to show how God is going to bring people back to himself. Now, it reminds me that in John 10, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. So when the good shepherd wants to reach down and transform the life of a woman who was sold into slavery against her will, when the good shepherd wants to transform the life of a child that was born and raised in a house of prostitution, when Jesus wants to make somebody new, what does he do? And the description is right here. Amos says, the shepherd's out in the field And he's there with the lambs, and he's got his sheep around him, and he's watching the flock. And all of a sudden, a lion comes out of nowhere, and he grabs one of the lambs. And he's got that lamb in his jaws, and he's trying to devour that lamb. And the Bible says that the shepherd jumps up, and he attacks the lion. Now, think about that a second. You don't typically attack a lion, right? We don't have lions in Nebraska. We don't have them in Missouri either. But I know enough about it to not attack a lion. I was in Kenya several years ago, and we were on this safari where they kind of drive you around uh, in this game reserve, and we're in this Land Rover, and it's open air and all this kind of thing. And so we come up on this lion pride that is on the feed. So they've got a kudu or something down, and they're devouring that animal. And it's ferocious, and I'm about 15 feet from it, sitting here in the truck looking at it. And the driver turns around and looks at me, and he says, stay in the truck. (laughs) I'm like, you think? Yeah, I didn't have any other plan. I'm not getting out of this truck. Why? You don't attack a lion. You don't attack a lion when they're eating. But this shepherd, he shows this incredible courage. He says, there's a need, and I've got to intervene. He didn't have the option to say, well, let it go. It's too late. Let it go. It's just too late. He he shows this incredible courage. 
Maytab came to us in January of 2013. His mother works brothel 53. They number them. His mother works in brothel 53. He had spent his entire life in that brothel when we got him. He was about 9 or 10 years old when we got him. He came into the home. We put him in the boys' home, and immediately he began to demonstrate uh, a lot of signs of psychological and spiritual uh, bondage and baggage. And so you can imagine these kids have been exposed to everything. They've had everything done to them. Anything you can imagine would happen growing up in a house in a brothel, it's, they've been through it. These are trauma victims, deep pain, deep wounds. He came in and he would have these night terrors and these nightmares. And one night I'm, I'm sleeping across the room from him and he just bolts up and he said, he's trying to kill me, he's trying to kill me. And I'm like, there's nobody in the room except the other boys and me. I said, there's nobody there. He goes, he's right there, he's trying to kill me. And he would, he would see these evil spirits that would manifest right in front of him. And, and he thought he was, they were trying to kill him. We would see, every time we'd bring a child into the home, out of that environment, it throws the equilibrium off for a few weeks. And you see, you see shadows moving through the house. You see demonic manifestations. And we'd have to break that and rebuke it and cast them out. And, and then we go, it's just kind of the protocol we live through. That's how we roll. And, and so, and so I, the more I got to know Maytop, I would ask him questions about his back, you know, what happened. And, and he was telling me one day his mother had a customer in her room, and he was on the other side of the wall, and they were in their plane, and he was just a kid. He's a boy. And he got too loud, and so the customer was angry. And so his mother comes around the wall, and she grabbed a brick and a nail, and she drove the nail through his head. And he comes to us with all of this trauma all this pain. You see, what I've learned is that it takes courage. It takes courage to engage with broken people, because here's what you got to understand. You know, we talk about reaching our community. We talk about reaching lost people. We talk about reaching the unreached. Just understand something. When you reach broken people, you get their brokenness, and that kid was broken. But today, he's transformed. Jesus saved him. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is uh, the top of his class at school. He was four grades behind because he'd never been to school. He's at the top of his class today. And uh, he wants to be a policeman. I said, well, why do you want to be a policeman? He said, so I can beat people. So, you know, the transformation is not complete, but we're working at it. But it takes courage. If we're going to reach the world, if we're going to build the kingdom, it takes courage to be a kingdom builder. The second thing it takes is tenacity. The shepherd, he gets locked in with this lion, and we see this struggle, this violent struggle. And now the shepherd's grabbing an arm. He's trying to grab for an ear. He's trying to get a hold of something and trying to get some leverage in this situation. Which makes me wonder, will we be satisfied with a few pieces? Or are we going to go for the whole thing? You see, what we've learned is it's one thing to rescue a woman out of bondage. It's one thing to rescue a child. It's a completely different thing to restore them, and it's far more difficult. 
My question today is, are we content as a church with partial restoration? Are we content with partial obedience to the Great Commission? Are we just going to go as far as we have to go? You see, the Scriptures tell us very plainly in Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How many of you know when Jesus says all, he means all? Jesus died for everybody. Do you realize today there are, there are 7,413 people groups, people with their own language, their own culture, who will never once hear the gospel unless somebody brings it in from outside. You could say, well, why don't you let the Christians reach them in their own country? There, is, there are no Christians. There is no local church. There's no body of believers that can reach them. The only way they're going to hear the gospel is if somebody intentionally crosses borders, crosses boundaries, and takes the gospel to them. It's the only way it's going to happen. There are 3.23 billion people, three and a quarter billion people on this planet who have still never once heard the gospel. They've never heard the name of Jesus. So we can talk about the advance of the kingdom, and we praise God that his kingdom is advancing, but there is still a third of the world that's never heard. 41.6% of the world's population is unreached. And it takes commitment, it takes tenacity, it's got, it takes something that says, I'm going to grab hold of this, I'm not going to let go of it, I'm going to obey what Jesus told me to do, I'm going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I'm not going to stop till it's done. It requires tenacity. You get into the lives of these women and these kids and their brokenness and their bondage, it, it takes tenacity. Because, man, I'm telling you, some days you want to quit, you want to give up. It's discouraging, it's disheartening. But the Bible says we will reap a harvest if we don't quit. The harvest is, is certain. The harvest is never in doubt. God is the one that brings the harvest. But we're the ones that have to obey. And we're the ones that have to stay on task until it's done. To be a kingdom builder, you have to be tenacious. But to, to be a kingdom builder, you also have to take a risk. The shepherd took a risk because there was too much at stake. See, it's risky. It's risky to touch hurting people. It's risky to take the, the, take the gospel to the parts of the world that are resistant to the gospel. I tell new missionaries this all the time. All the easy places are taken. The only places left are the hard places. The only places left are the places where people are hostile and they hate God and they hate the gospel and they hate Jesus. That's the only places left in the world. But if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we've got to go there. Kushbu came to us in 2012. Kushbu's mom was a streetwalker, which is really unusual in India because most prostitution, at least in our city, is brothel-based. But her mom works the streets. Kushbu and her little sister, uh, they grew up in the open air. They had, they had lived on the streets. She had, when she came to live with us, she had lived on the streets her entire life. 
the, the first night she slept in our girl's home was the first night in her life she had slept under a roof. And I mean, man, she was wild. I, I, I tell people, it's like she was raised by wolves. This kid was crazy. She was just wild. And, and so, I mean, we bring her in. We take them through this whole protocol and clean them up and pray over them and do all this stuff when we bring them in. She'd been with us maybe three hours, and we unwisely assigned her a top bunk. So she gets up on this bunk. She's freaking out. This is amazing. I got a roof and a bed. This is incredible. So she's excited. She's jumping up and down on the top bunk, and there's a ceiling fan above her. And here we go, man. She gets her head up in that fan, blood flying everywhere. Looked like a Quentin Tarantino movie in that place. I'm thinking, good Lord. I mean, she came in. I mean, she was absolutely out of control and wild. And, and now today, she's first in her class. She's in the, the ninth grade, 10th grade. And uh, she wants to be a school teacher. And God's hands on her life. And I mean, it's amazing what God's done in her life. But I'm telling you something, folks. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot of work to see that happen. And finally, the shepherd attacked the lion because he knew it was worth it. Why is the shepherd in there grabbing the ear, grabbing the leg, trying to get leverage on something? It's because the lamb didn't belong to the shepherd. In those days, shepherds didn't own the flock. They just watched the flock. The guy that could afford the sheep didn't watch the flock. He hired people to do that. So the shepherd says, if I lose this lamb, the owner's going to make me pay restitution and pay him back for the loss, and I don't have the money. So there's a desperation in this shepherd that says, I've got to do something. And so he said, if I can somehow salvage this lamb... See, there's a reward in this for me. The reward was worth the risk. Why do we do this? Why do we make the sacrifices we make? Why do we pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into kingdom builders? Why do we make the sacrifices in prayer and fasting? Why do we go overseas on missions trips? Why do we send the best and the brightest among us to be missionaries to unreached people? Because they're worth it. They're worth it. Jesus loves people. Doesn't matter where they are today. Doesn't matter what they've been through. Doesn't matter the hell their life is today. Jesus loves people. And because he loves people, we love people. Shepherd takes this incredible risk because there's an incredible return. It was World War II and Hitler's war machine had marched across North Africa. Rommel's tank divisions had, had decimated the region. The, the region was in famine. And because of the war, the supply lines were all cut. So they didn't have food in the markets. It, it was very desperate. They were in a famine. There was a missionary, single missionary lady, who had an orphanage in central Egypt. And uh, one day they're feeding the kids. They got about 100 kids in the orphanage at that time, and they're feeding everybody dinner, and the cook motions to her from the back, and he says, I need to see you. 
She went to the kitchen and he said, ma'am, we have enough food to feed the children for one more day. We can feed them today, tonight and all day tomorrow. And then after three meals tomorrow, we're out of food. She said, well, I don't know what we'll do because there's no food in the markets and we don't have any money. So God's going to have to provide. She took the kids up that night, tucked them all in bed, got everybody down for the night. And she had a little apartment, a little two-room apartment at the top of the orphanage. She went up and knelt by her bed before she went to sleep. And she said, now, Jesus, you gave me these kids. These are your children. And if you don't do something, day after tomorrow, they're going to go hungry. But it's not my problem because they're your kids. She went to sleep that night, and as she slept, she had a vision. And in that vision, God revealed something to her. He said, I want you to go on the back part of the compound, and I want you to build a simple shed. He showed her the dimensions. He showed her how to build it, kind of just like lumber and tin, like we'd put hay under. Just a simple facility. He said, just put it up. And he says, go out there and build this shed. So she wakes up in the morning, and she says, God, I don't know what you're doing here. We're in a famine, we're in a war, and you want me to go out and build something. So she calls the workers in from the village, calls in the materials, goes out, and all day long she stood out there and she superintended the job while they put up this simple structure. And all day long people are coming from the village and they're lining up around the wall of the compound and they're mocking her and jeering at her, saying, Woman, you're a fool. We're in a war, we're in a famine. And here you are spending this money on a, on a shed. What are you doing? And at the end of the day, with the ringing of the mockery, and as the sun set over the horizon, she stood there and she looked at that warehouse she built. And she turned around, walked into the, into the dining hall, and fed the children the last of the food. She went up to her room that night after everybody got settled, and she knelt at her bed again. She said, okay, Jesus, you told me to build it, and I did. Now, if you don't do something, these kids won't get breakfast. It's not my problem. They're yours. She went to bed that night and slept. And as she slept, a British frigate was coming up the Nile River, and they were bringing food rations to the Allied troops fighting in the theater. They ran too close and they got beached. They got up on the bank and they couldn't get off. So they're in a hostile, uh, they're in a, a hostile area that's controlled by the Axis uh, troops. And so the captain gave the, the order. He said, scuttle the cargo. Throw all the cargo overboard. We've got to lighten the ship so we can get out of here. The, cap, the first officer happened to be a believer. And he said, sir, he said, I know of a missionary lady about 100 miles from here. And I'm sure she could use this food. If you would allow me, we can't get it where it needs to go. There's a, there's a battle theater between here and there. We can't get it there overland. Could I just donate all this food to her? He said, I don't care what you do, but do it fast. So they requisitioned trucks, got them down on the beach. Gangplanks went down. And case after case after case after case of food gets offloaded onto these trucks. And the captain stands on the bridge that night and he watches as those trucks disappear up into the darkness. The next morning, Mama Lillian Trasher woke up to the sound of 10 trucks pulling into her compound loaded with food. The lead truck stopped. She walks out in her robe to see what's going on. He says, Miss Trasher, I'm First Officer so-and-so of the Royal British Navy. 
We have a contribution we'd like to make to your orphanage. Where would you like us to put it? And she said, why don't you put it in the warehouse around back? And here's what I know. If Mama Lillian hadn't built that warehouse, that food would have never come. Because sometimes you just got to make room for God to do something. You hear what I'm saying? Now, I'm from Missouri. We're not as classy as you Nebraskans. But you know, if you build an outhouse, you get an outhouse's worth of provision. But if you build a warehouse, God fills it. And I believe what God is saying to us right now is he's saying, will you build something so big that only I can fill it? We are not going to reach the world doing what we can do. We are only going to reach the world if God does what he can do as we do what we can do. And so we are here at this moment, this sacred time of the year, where we reevaluate again. God, we're going to build your kingdom. And God is saying, I want you to take a risk. I want you to charge the lion. I want you to build a warehouse where you don't know. You know, it's really not faith if it doesn't scare you to death. I just want to hang on to stuff these days. The older I get, the more I resist risk. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it takes an intentional effort to say, I'm, I'm going to break that. I'm going to break the enemy's intimidation. And I'm going to live open-handed. And I'm going to let God flow his resource through me. It's not about what you have. It's about surrender so God can use you to feed a multitude. Chase the lion. Attack the lion. Build a warehouse. And I promise you, God will show up. God, I covet for my friends today that this year would be the year where they go to a place they've never been in you. Lord, as we yield ourselves and say, God, I don't have it, but you've got it. And you're just looking for somebody to channel it through, somebody to funnel it through. So, God, I yield to you, and I pray that you'd use me. I pray, God, that even now, maybe there's somebody listening to me pray today, and and they're wrestling with a call on their life. Maybe not necessarily to vocational ministry, although that may be the case, but maybe somebody's just been kind of sitting back. There's a ministry you're calling them to in their local church. Maybe they're, you're calling them to work with, uh, in, in, a, in a capacity here, and they've just kind of laid back. God, right now, I pray that they would, they would break through that intimidation and any kind of fear, and that they would chase the lion. I pray, God, that in our hearts right now, we would open our hearts and we would open our spirits to allow you God, we want to make room for you. We want to make room for you. And so I pray today, and I pray next week as we come to this miracle offering, that your people would not be intimidated by the enemy, that they would step up, that they would be fearless, that they would be bold, that they would be risk takers, and that they would build a warehouse that only you can fill. We thank you for the miracles the signs and the wonders that are going to follow our obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.